You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Let's open the Word of God together again to the book of Zechariah. Is your Bible falling open there yet? Uh, Have we spent enough time in it where it's just naturally you're going there? I'm actually preaching tonight from a new Bible. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, Pastor, I don't know what it is right now. I forgot my cufflinks this week. I'm preaching with your pastor's cufflinks tonight. Aren't those nice? And I like them. I may just steal those. Last week, I preached in uh, northern Virginia uh, on the Lord's Day, and that afternoon had to fly to Seattle and flew, actually flew out of Richmond. And uh, we were packing for a couple different trips and uh, several things going on. And I've never done this in all these years of ministry. It's never happened to me. But my wife and I drove up, had to go to a wedding first on Saturday in another place. And we got to the hotel late on Friday night and I opened the hatch and my briefcase wasn't there. And I thought, that's not good. And I was gone for several days in multiple places and did not have a Bible. What do you think of that? How many of you think it's bad when a preacher doesn't have a Bible with him? Didn't have a Bible, my, my laptop, journals, notes, all of that. Didn't have anything. And a young man that was one of our students was there where I was for the wedding. And he gave me this Bible. I think it's the nicest Bible I have ever owned in my life. I'm going to start leaving things at home more often, you know. Uh, but this is a new Bible. I wouldn't say it naturally opens to Zechariah. But it is an amazing book of the Bible we're studying this week. We began, of course, in the early chapters This evening, in the last meeting, we fast forward to the end. We're reading the end of the story. Now remember, Zechariah is a tremendously hopeful book. And I love the fact people have this idea that the prophets were just, it's all negative, it's all negative. I'll remind you that you can thunder forth against sin, but still have a positive message when you point people to God. That you can talk about judgment, and that's not a negative thing because you're showing people how to escape the judgment and the fact that the people of God are not headed to judgment. We are going to be with the Lord someday. So when you come to the end of Zechariah to the last chapter, it's kind of like coming to the last chapter of the Bible. It's like coming to the end of the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're lifted to the mountaintop now. We're, we're taken to the climax of it all. And it's an amazing, amazing chapter. Look with me at Zechariah chapter 14, beginning in verse number 1. Behold, look, pay attention. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Let's just stop there for a second. Could I remind you that man gets his day And the devil has his day, but in the end, the Lord always has his day. So what you're seeing right now, this mess we're living in, where men have their say, I want you to know the Lord's going to have the last word. And if you think the devil's running amok and just he can do anything that he wants to do, I want you to know that the devil is, is, is on a leash even now and there's checks and balances and this thing is all going to end with what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord cometh and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Now remember, he's concentrating on Judah, on the chosen people. He's concentrating specifically on Jerusalem, the holy city. He says, I want you to know the day is coming. The the judgment day is coming. Look at verse 2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. That is a terribly depressing verse. Put yourself in their shoes a moment and realize he's talking to people who have just come back from captivity. They've just returned from bondage. They're just rebuilding the walls. They're just rebuilding the temple. They're just renewing the temple worship. There's this little glimmer of hope, and the preacher comes along. How many of you ever had the preacher tell you something you didn't want to hear? Well, the preacher comes along, Zechariah, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and says, I want you to know that what you've experienced to this point is not going to be anything to compare to the day that is coming in the future. You think you've seen the chastening hand of God. I want you to know there's a final judgment coming on the day of the Lord. 
In fact, if we had time, I would show you that verse 1 and verse 2 in this chapter specifically refer to what is going to be allowed to happen when the Antichrist has his way. See, we are not looking for Antichrist. We are looking for Christ. Look, church, we're not going down. We're going up. I want you to know that. So I'm not looking, trying to figure out, you know, when the first seal is going to open and who the Antichrist is going to be and all that kind of thing. I don't have to know all the answers to those questions because the next thing on God's agenda is the rapture of the church. You can stay if you want to, but we're leaving out of here. We won't be here in the tribulation age. But verse 1 and verse 2 describes for us what is going to happen when the Antichrist has his way. In fact, you're familiar with this term, the battle of what? Armageddon. Even Hollywood talks about Armageddon. Did you know the word is only found once in the entire Bible? It's found in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it is a reference to a geographical location, to Megiddo. We were there just not too long ago. And we stood on top of Mount Megiddo and looked out over the Jezreel Valley. It was fascinating to me. You could actually see Nazareth in the distance. It hit me standing there looking at the valley where the battle of Armageddon will be initiated that when Jesus was growing up in Nazareth, he was looking at the valley where the whole thing would come to a conclusion. Let that sink in just a minute. No wonder he sat in the temple when he was 12 and had answers, not just questions. And they said, we don't know where this boy learned all this, but he knows some things we don't know. That's right, because that's God in the flesh. See, he knew how the whole thing was going to end before it ever started. So the Antichrist is going to, to initiate this tremendous onslaught against Jerusalem. And really the battle of Armageddon is not, just, is not just a battle like it's a little skirmish somewhere. It is a world war. It's a war such as this world has never seen before. But oh, I love verse 3. Look at verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth. Isn't it great? Isn't it great that when Satan is unleashing his worst, God steps into the situation. That moment, Jesus is going to arrive on the scene. Seven years of tribulation will have expired, and during that time we were with the Lord and the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is the moment where our Lord Jesus not only raptures us, but now he actually returns to earth. Look at the phrase. Mark it in your Bible. The Lord will go forth. Do you see the power here? The Lord shows up. You know things get better when the Lord shows up. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. As when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet, his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south, and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach into Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come. I like this, and all the saints with thee. Don't you like to find yourself in the Bible? You might want to connect the first phrase here in verse number 3, then shall the Lord go forth, to the phrase in, at the end of verse 5, the Lord my God shall come. I'm telling you, friends, the Lord is coming back to this planet. The Lord will have the final say. The Lord will have the final day. The Antichrist, verse 1 and 2, does his worst, and then the Lord shows up. By the way, this is really interesting, but in AD 70, Titus leveled the city of Jerusalem. He, he brought an onslaught against the city of Jerusalem and just tore it up, and the, the temple gets destroyed again and all these kinds of things. In fact, even now, you can see some of the ruins of that temple. It's fascinating to, to walk through some of that and envision what happened in AD 70. And the citizens of Jerusalem in AD 70 hoped that reinforcements would come. They, they sat there just holding out hope that somehow somebody would come alongside them to help them and bring them some relief. And the relief and the reinforcements never came. But I want you to know, at the end of the age, reinforcements are on the way. And they're not earthly reinforcements. They're heaven's reinforcements. It's fascinating. Look at, look at those verses. It tells us where he's coming to. He's coming to the Mount of Olives. A lot of important things happen at the Mount of Olives. Remember, the Mount of Olives was the last place where Jesus' feet touched when he was here on this earth the first time. 
It was the place of the ascension. It was from the Mount of Olives that his feet lifted off and he ascended up into heaven. I love this thought. When he comes back and touches down, guess where he's going to touch down? Same place where he left off. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad he doesn't just start the story, he finishes the story? Aren't you glad that the one who went away shall surely come again as you have seen him go into heaven? He's coming back to the Mount of Olives. He tells us not only where he's coming to, he tells us what will happen when he comes back. A great earthquake's going to take place. So great that the Mount of Olives overlooking the old city of Jerusalem is going to literally shake and cleave in two. Somebody said, you really think that can happen? Let me ask you a question. Who made the mountains? When the creator shows up, the creation does whatever the creator says to do. And on that day, the power of the Holy Son of God will be so mighty and so great that the earth itself will recede. Even the mountains, the strongest, most fixed thing around the city of Jerusalem will flee at the presence of the Holy God of heaven. Think about that. Even the topography will change. If we had time, you could study the end of the chapter and see so many things that are going to happen when the Lord comes back there. And then, this is my favorite part, he not only tells us where he's coming to and what's going to happen when he comes, he tells us who's coming with him. Would you mark it in your Bible? In verse 5, all the saints with thee. I love this. Do you remember in the first part of this book I had you write your name in the margin of the Bible next to a brand plucked out of the fire? Well, why don't you go ahead and write your name in the margin of your Bible right here at the end of the story too because as surely as the Lord has delivered you from your sin and death and hell, someday you are returning with him, you're going to rule with him, you're going to reign with him. Hey, we are on the winning side. And so this is the context, the setting, if you will, for the truth I want to bring you to tonight. See, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing about the Word of God because in all of these portions of Scripture, there is, there is a prophetic element that looks ahead. There is some promise about God that makes you look up. And then there is some principle for our life now that makes you look within and realize that this God is our God and He has something to say and we need to know it. And so we read on, look at verse 6, it shall come to pass in that day. You might want to mark that phrase in your Bible. It's one of Zechariah's favorite phrases. <laughs> you know preachers get favorite phrases. Every now and then, every now and then, I have to listen to myself, and I, I don't like listening to myself. And one of the reasons I don't is you pick up on the little things that you say that you really ought to stop saying. But preachers, we get favorites, don't we get favorites? And sometimes we ride that, and maybe you say, yeah, I know what the preacher's favorite is, or I know what he's on this week. But when Zechariah repeated this phrase, by the way, he repeated it 15 times in the last three chapters. When he said, in that day, it wasn't because it was just his phrase. This is the word of the living God, and God ended the prophecy with divine exclamation point. God said, I got a day coming. It's already circled on my calendar, and you better get ready for it. In that day, that the light shall not be clear nor dark. How many of you think that sounds a little strange? So the light's not going to be clear, but it's not going to be dark. I was driving into the service this evening. Had the perfect illustration of it. What a beautiful evening. What a beautiful day God gave us today. But after the sun receded and went down, and as the moon started to show its light, it was that time of day that we refer to as twilight. For me personally, it's one of my favorite times. It doesn't last long either, does it? But there's that little moment, that little moment that is just, it's not day and it's not night. It's, it's not fully light and it's not fully dark. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, this is really interesting. God says on that day, on the day of the Lord, it won't be fully light because there will still be the darkness of sin present. Oh, I love this. But it won't be fully dark because the God who is light will have shown up. Would you like to know what we're reading here? We're reading about the twilight of the age. All of time winding down. We're not winding up, we're winding down. All of time winding down, and there'll be this little moment, this little parenthesis. 
Somebody said, on the other side of it, it's just going to be night, right? Oh, that's just for lost people, the blackness of darkness forever. No, on the other side of this twilight, it's going to be one eternal day for God's children. That's what it's going to be. But this is the twilight of the age. And look at verse number 7. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night. Would you mark that in your Bible? That's the twilight, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass, aren't you glad God always brings his will to pass, that at evening time it shall be light. I want you to take your pen tonight and mark the last phrase of verse number 7. It's captured my attention. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was driving to a meeting, and a young, young associate that works with us was traveling with me, and we are just talking, and this is really how I came to this truth. And I've been chewing on it for the last two weeks. We were talking about how dark things are. How many of you have watched the news lately? How many of you have stopped watching the news now? Sick of it. Aren't we sick of it? And even if you don't watch the news, you hear, you observe. May I ask you a question? Do you think things have gotten a little darker here lately? Morally, socially, politically, militarily, economically, spiritually? Spiritually, it's dark. Evil men and seducers waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We're driving down the road, we're just talking about, honestly, how bad things have gotten and, and what's happened to our nation and the, look at the culture out of control and the corruption on every hand and who can you trust and on and on and on. And the Holy Spirit of God, isn't it amazing how if you just read the Bible, God will put things in your heart and bring them up exactly when you need them. And we're riding down the road. I haven't thought about Zechariah. I'll be honest with you, I hadn't read Zechariah in a while. And I said to my friend, I said, you know, there's a verse in the Bible somewhere that says at evening time it shall be light. And I had to look it up. And I found it right here in Zechariah chapter number 14. And I started thinking to myself, what does that mean? Now, obviously, the chapter is about the day of the Lord that's coming. And the Bible says it's one day. It's a specific day. It's as certain as the day you lived today. It is a day unlike any other. It is a day that is known only to God himself. I can't tell you when the day will be. I can't tell you all the details about it. There's a lot of things I don't understand. I only know this. The Lord is going to have his day in the end of time. But this phrase, what does it mean at evening time? It shall be light. For the last couple of weeks, the Holy Spirit has been teaching me from this phrase. Will you let me just share with you tonight some things the Holy Spirit is showing me from Scripture? See, I believe this with all my heart. I believe that the God who himself is light has made it so that at the darkest times in history, his light shines the brightest. You're going to see it in the end of the age, but it is a principle that is true right now. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Let's start at the beginning. Somebody says, oh, no, he's going to preach the whole Bible now. Well, just stay with me for a second. Look at the first page of your Bible. Yeah, you say preach it till I, till I preach too long. Look at Genesis 1, would you? First principles. You know, it's funny, but the closer we get to Revelation, the more Genesis makes sense. I mean, I actually find myself going back and understanding more of these beginning principles and these first things because some things never change. Truth endures. There's no new thing under the sun. So look at Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and what? Darkness was upon the face of the deep. i got to be honest with you. If that verse stopped right there, that's pretty depressing, really. Did you ever notice the first half of verse number 2? The earth is without form, it is void, and it is dark. Boy, that sounds like a cheerful place, doesn't it? So there is, look at it, there is chaos, there is emptiness, there is darkness. Doesn't that sound like the world we're living in right now? I like this, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Did it ever dawn on you that the first time you're introduced to the work of the Holy Spirit, it is when the world was empty, chaotic, and dark? 
People say to me, oh, preacher, we can't have revival today. We've gone too far. We've, we've done too much. Don't you know what a mess this world is? Could I just remind you that when the Holy Spirit of God begins to move anywhere at any time, he has the power to bring light out of darkness and order out of chaos and fullness out of emptiness. That's who our God is. And notice when the Spirit of God went to work, what's the first thing he does? Verse 3, and God said, let there be what? Light. And there was what? Light. And if you read on, it was very good. I want to remind you that from the very beginning, in the darkness, God brought the light. Might I say it in the words of Zechariah, at evening time, it was light. On our way back towards Zechariah, stop in the oldest book of the Bible. You say, well, isn't that Genesis? No, that's the book of Job. Now, Genesis takes you back further, but Job is the oldest book of the Bible. Now, look at Job chapter number 11. Look at this eternal principle woven through the pages of Holy Scripture. Job 11 and verse 17. What a powerful verse. Frankly, what a powerful verse for those of us who are starting to get a little age on us. You know, age really is a relative thing. Did you know that? So like to those kids earlier today, I'm old, I'm really old. And to some of you who've lived longer than me, I'm young. And I want you to keep saying that as long as you're willing to say it. Old age is always 10 years older than whatever you are. You know that, right? Now Job's getting a little older here, and frankly, he's having a hard time. Look at the word that comes to him in Job 11, verse 17. And thine age shall be clearer than the noonday. Thou shalt shine forth, thou shalt be as the morning. Wait a minute. Did he just say that the older he got, that the more age he got on him, that the nearer he got to the end, it was more light, it was not night, it was morning? That's exactly what he says. May I tell you why? Because the Bible says the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. I said to my wife the other day, I said, something's happened to me. She said, what? I said, my eyes are changing again. I already have to, use, have to use glasses to read and see the distance and all that kind of thing. And now, now I'm starting to notice things getting dimmer and dimmer. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so I need a little more light on my device or I need a little more light overhead. There's something about age that suddenly things start getting a little dimmer, things start getting a little darker, things start getting a little duller. But wait a minute, don't miss this. What's true physically is not true spiritually for the child of God. Look, please, it's not getting darker, friends. If you're getting near God, you're getting brighter and brighter all the time. You say, well, what does that mean, preacher? It means if you're still breathing, God's not finished with you. People say to me, well, you know, preacher, I think that my prime of life has passed me by. My best days are behind me. Old Dr. Sales used to say, the prime of life is any time in life when you're in the center of God's will. I like that. You think your best days are behind you? I would argue with that. The best day you're ever going to live is the day you see Jesus face to face, and that's ahead of you. That means we all have our best days ahead of us. And right now, some of you aged men and aged women, and I'm not going to define that. You work that out for yourself, all right? But some of you aging saints ought to go back and read Titus chapter 2 and see how the aged men influenced the young men and the aged women influenced the young women. Look, please, God has left you here for a reason. There is a reason you're still here because there's a work for you to do. At evening time, it can be light, friends. Come over to the Psalms just a minute. We're almost back home to Zechariah. Stop off in Psalm 36. Look at verse number 9. This is all about God. This is not about us. This is not about world circumstances. This is not about what somebody else can do for you. This is God. Look at Psalm 36, verse 9. For with thee, David prays, with thee is the fountain of life. Oh, don't miss the end of verse 9. In thy light shall we see light. God always connects life and light. Even in Zechariah 14, he gives light. Next verse, he gives life. He always connects them. Look, the God of life is the God of light. How do you get light on your path? How do you get light for the journey? How do you get light for, to, to live through dark periods? I'm going to tell you how. You get as close to the God who is light as you possibly can. And in his light, you will see light. 
We don't need the lightness of comedians making us feel better. We don't need the lightness of somebody saying, psych yourself up and have a good day. We don't need the lightness of somebody saying, if you just think positive, it'll all work out right. We need the light that comes from God Almighty himself. He's the one who made it so that at evening time it shall be light. One more verse, still in the Psalms. Come over to Psalm 112 and look at verse number four. This is interesting. Psalm 112, verse 4. Under the upright, there ariseth light in the darkness. How many of you think every word of the word matters? It doesn't say light after the darkness. That's the way we think. No, no. He says there is light what? In the darkness. Even the preposition is a revelation. God says in the midst of the darkness. Not when the darkness is gone. Not when the devil is shut up. Uh, not, when, not when you're in heaven someday. Not in the future. No, right smack dab in the middle of your darkness. God said, I can make the sun of heaven to shine on you. In the, in the midst of sin and the midst of sorrow and the midst of suffering, God says, I can turn the light on and I can make it so it's evening time. It's still light. Did you know God works the night shift? He does. By the way, that's why, that's why God gave us sleep. You ever wonder why God gave us sleep? I mean, if I was the creator, aren't you glad I wasn't the creator? If I was the creator, I think I'd just make us like the Energizer Bunny where we run all the time. Think how much we could get done 24 hours a day. You ever wonder why God made us so that we have to sleep and we have to rest? Do you know what sleep is? Sleep is the reminder that there's an end to you, but there's no end to God. You come to the end of you, but there is no end to who God is. So at night, the Bible says God gives his beloved sleep. You know what God basically says to us in the nighttime hours? God says, I'm going to take it from here. You just rest now. I got everything under control. There's a wonderful peace in that, not just physically uh, refreshing and renewing, but spiritually to rest in the God who stays up all the time because he faints not, neither is weary. In the dark hours of the night, both literally and figuratively, our God is at work in this world. On our way back to Zechariah 14, stop off in Zechariah 1, would you please? See, Zechariah learned this experientially. You have to learn it experientially. You can't just hear a sermon and take notes and nod your head and get this. You've got to live it to learn it. And so he did. You say, well, we've already studied this. Yeah, well, let me just point something out. Look at Zechariah 1, verse number 8. Remember God started revealing things to him? Look at the first phrase of Zechariah 1, 8. I saw by what? How many of you think night is not used at the time where we see the most? I mean, let's just get real. At, at nighttime, we don't see quite as clearly. There's shadows, right? There's, there's darkness that has descended. It, it, it's a little darker, and so it's a little harder to see. But not so with God. It was in the nighttime hour where God showed up and revealed these things to Zechariah. Turn one page. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 1. The angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is waking out of his sleep and said unto me, What seest thou? Do you understand that God speaks most and we see best at night? In fact, it might interest you to know that the first six chapters of Zechariah were basically all revealed in one night. That's a big night right there, wouldn't you think? Some of you right now are living through the darkest hours of your life. And all of us are living through the dark hours of our nation. And there's a whole lot of Christians who are wringing their hands talking about how bad things are, how difficult it is, how hard things are. I'm going to tell you what we need to remember. We need to remember that God is the same when the lights go out as when the sun is shining, that the Lord is always at work and he's made it so that at evening time it shall be light. Go back to Zechariah 14 and let me give you three principles tonight. Would you write them down in the margin of your Bible or in some place where you can meditate more on them? First of all, I want you to see in this statement that there is a prediction here. Remember, we're in a prophetic passage, so he's foretelling future events and talking about what is to come. Well, what's the prediction from this passage? Write this down. The prediction is that the world is going to get darker, but light always comes in the end. It was true in Genesis. It will be true in the end. In fact, if I had time tonight, I'd take you to the end of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, and I would show you that in all of the opening chapters of Revelation, it's pretty dark. 
In Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, the church age, do you know what the church was dealing with? Darkness. You know what we're dealing with today? Darkness. Don't let that surprise you. Look, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Don't, don't get blown away by what's going on in our world. Don't, don't lose faith and lose heart and lose hope because you see all the junk going on around us. God predicted it was going to happen. Then when you get to Revelation 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 and 18 and 19, guess what you got? A whole lot of darkness. Because it describes what? The tribulation age. Darkness descends on this planet. Imagine, you think it's bad now. Imagine what this planet's going to be like when the restrainer is removed and the salt and light of the church is taken out and the dam that's been holding back the flood tide of iniquity breaks and suddenly, excuse me, all the hounds of hell are unleashed on this planet. You imagine what this world is going to be like. In a word, darkness. But I love this. Revelation doesn't end in Revelation 19. Mm. There's Revelation 20 and Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. And I would challenge you to read the last chapters of the Revelation of Jesus Christ just like you're reading the last chapter of Zechariah. Do you know how it all ends? In a word, light. In fact, let me tell you about the place where we're going. We're going to a place where you won't need the sun anymore. How many of you enjoyed the sunshine today? I did. I got out in it, and I thought, this is wonderful. I mean, after you've been through winter a little bit, you enjoy the sunshine. Somebody said, well, we're sure going to miss the sunshine. Brother, you're not going to think about the sun anymore because the Son of God is the light of the celestial city. When you get there, the God who is light is going to give perfect light. I'm going to tell you something. We are not headed for darkness. We are headed for light. The prediction is that darkness always comes, but light always comes in the end. Look carefully at the cross. It's midnight in the middle of the day as God the Father turns his back on his own son. At that moment, at that moment, Jesus Christ had become sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. On the cross, when God the Father looked at his son, he did not see his son, he saw my sin. By the way, the reverse of that is now true. When he looks at me, he no longer sees my sin. He sees his son. That's pretty good, isn't it? But at that moment, a cry pierces the darkness. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? On this side of the cross, we know the answer. He was forsaken so we could be reconciled. He was separated so we could be restored. He took death so we could take life. He took hell so we could take heaven. He took sin so we could take righteousness. He took darkness so we could take light. But I want to submit to you tonight on the authority of the word of God that the moment of deepest darkness this planet has known to this point, that moment in the middle of the day when God turned the lights out, when the sun stopped shining, that moment was actually the moment where light came into this world as never before to bring us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Yes, there's darkness, but there's light in the end. Light dispels the darkness. Light is greater than darkness. And by the way, God controls it all. Aren't you glad God controls it all? Go back and read Joshua again. Do you remember the day the sun stood still? Do you remember? Somebody said, how did that happen? I have no idea. All I know is the God who hung the sun in the sky and holds it there just said, you hang on there a little while longer today. God controls the light and God commands the darkness to flee and the prediction is, yes, it will get darker, but light always conquers in the end. There's a second thing I want you to write down. In this one little phrase, there is not only a prediction, there is a revelation. Now, please don't miss this because prophecy is not about events and places and people and timelines. We get, all, we get all stuck on that. Let's just be honest. Even when we study prophecy, sometimes we get off in the weeds somewhere and we miss the whole point of it. Look here, please. You know what this book is? This book is God's revelation of himself. God didn't give you the Bible, his word, so that you would know things better and places better and events better. He gave it so you would know God better. All these people want to talk about prophecy. They don't want to talk about Jesus. I say, let me use a good West Virginia theological term, hogwash on that. 
It's ridiculous. Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Don't tell me that you want to study prophecy and you're all intrigued with the end of the world and you want to live like the devil. It makes no lasting difference in the way you live your life. Look, this is a purifying hope. It changes the way we live our lives today because we get a glimpse of the God who is the conqueror in the end. So what is the revelation of God? Would you write down this reference? 1 John chapter 1, verse number 5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If the prediction is it'll get darker but light comes in the end, the revelation is that God is light and his light always conquers darkness. It's always been that way. That's not just true in prophecy. That's true in history. Let's take a little trip. Come on, you need to go with me. Let's take a little trip. Let's sit down and interview some people. Hey, Noah, I want you to tell me about your day. Tell me about your day. Oh, brother, my day? The imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. I mean, you talk about dark. You talk about moral decay, I hear people saying today. It's never been this bad before. You should get a history book. That's what you should do. Ask Noah, how bad was it? It was so bad, God just destroyed the whole world. And the lights went out. Don't you know when the clouds covered the sun and heaven opened up and the rain started falling, it got pretty dark on this planet. But aren't you glad a few days later, praise God, the sun came out again. And at evening time, it was light. Hey, Moses. Hey, Moses, tell me, please, when you led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage that last night, you know when the death angel came through and, and the firstborn died, was it dark? Man, it was pitch black outside. It was, it was dark as it could be. It was, a, it was a sad night, a sorrowful night. It was pretty tough. How'd you make it through? Well, it was an amazing story, but God sent a pillar of fire to lead us out by night. It guided us and it guarded us. It led us and it protected us. Why? Because at evening time, it was light for God's people. Hey, David, did you ever have any dark days? Come on, sit with me in Getty. Sit in the back of the cave where, where the sun doesn't get to and, and look at those dark days between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise, wondering where's the Lord and all of this and how is this ever going to come to fruition? Am I even going to live to see the light of another day and yet watch him take pen in hand and write on a piece of paper somewhere, a piece of parchment somewhere, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You know what that is? At evening time, it was light. Hey, Daniel, how dark was it in the den of lions? It was pretty dark. How'd that go? It was, it was a long night. But when the light shone through the next morning, I saw the Lord's angel sitting over there petting those lions. And at evening time, it was light. What kind of world did Jesus come to? When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. I'm going to tell you what kind of world the light of the world came to. He came to a dark world. Rome, dark as it could be. You think our government's bad. You ought to read a little bit about the Herodian dynasty and the worldliness and the wickedness and the persecution of God's people. You ought to read and study about it a little bit. It'll do your heart good to realize, look, we're not martyrs yet. In the words of Hebrews, you've not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. But it was at that dark moment in history where the light of the world stepped on the page of human history. At evening time, it was light. Interview the disciples. Sit around with the disciples and say, tell us about some of the nighttime experiences. Oh, we had a lot of nighttime experiences with Jesus. Middle of the night, sitting in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, thought we was going to die. It was dark out there. there. There was no light anywhere. And suddenly, we saw this form walking towards us. Who was it? It was the light of the world walking on the water to come to them. At evening time, it was light. Hey, Peter, would you tell me about that night, please? It was awful. I said I wouldn't betray him, but I did. I mean, I swore up and down I'd stay right with him to death. And then I swore three times I didn't even know him. I followed afar off that night like the rest of them. Well, I went to the palace, I went, and, and John got me in, but I sat over there warming my hands by the fire, and when that last girl asked me, aren't you one of them? He said, I cursed. said, I didn't even know him. The lights went out. See, when you're not in fellowship with God, there's, there's no light. Just shadows. 
And Jesus turned and looked at Peter. I used to think, used to preach that that was some stern look of judgment. I don't think so. Jesus knew what he was going to do. I think Jesus had tears in his eyes. I think it was, it was a look of compassion that melted the heart of Simon Peter. I think at that moment, the brokenness of Jesus broke him. And that night he went out and wept bitterly. That's dark right there, friends. And then Peter says, but I got to tell you, a few mornings later, I had breakfast with him on the shore of Galilee. Yeah, early one morning, he just showed up out of nowhere. And when we got to the shore, he already had breakfast prepared. And in the early hours as the sun rose over the Sea of Galilee, he talked to me. At evening time, it was light. Hey, Paul, you have any nighttime experiences? Brother, let me tell you. It was that one night in Philippi, they beat us and threw us in jail. And at midnight, we just prayed and started singing hymns and giving God praise. And an earthquake came, shook the doors right off that prison. And that wasn't all. Look, when the jailer came in and asked for a light, that wasn't the only light. No, no, God's light showed up that night. The light of the gospel showed up that night. The light of Christ showed up in Philippi that night. At evening time, it was light. Hey, John, you outlived the rest of them. Congratulations. You were the young man of the disciples, and you outlived all the rest of them. And as your reward, you got exiled to the Isle of Patmos for it. And Patmos, there's no Mediterranean resort as it is now. No, no, the Isle of Patmos was a penal colony. It was a place where they sent criminals uh, to, to, to work to death, literally out in the middle of the Aegean Sea, a long ways from everybody that he loved and everybody that loved him, except for one, because Jesus showed up out there on that island with him. And in that darkness, do you know what John saw? John saw the light of the celestial city at evening time. It was light. And the day that Jesus died was the darkest day this world has ever known. But three days later, when Jesus Christ came out of that grave alive forevermore, I tell you, that was the brightest day this world has ever known. At evening time, it was light. This is both a prediction about the future, but a revelation about our God. He is light, and God conquers all in the end. One more thing, and I'll be done. Would you write down that there is here an application? And what is the application to our lives? It is this. Whatever darkness you're in at this moment, God can bring light into it. See, sometimes we're praying God will bring us out of it. Isn't that true? Dear God, get me out of this darkness. No, no. God brings light into the darkness. The victory, not after the battle, but in the middle of the battle. The peace, not after the storm, but in the midst of the storm. The light, not after the darkness, but in the midst of the darkness. There might be somebody here tonight, you're not saved. I'm going to tell you, you're in the worst darkness of all. You're in the darkness of sin. You've been blinded to the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. And someday, Jude says those people are going to stumble into what the Bible calls the blackness of darkness forever. There is no light in the place of separation from Almighty God. But I want you to know, God has made a way through Jesus Christ that in a moment of time at the greatest evening time of your life it can be light. When, when you stand on the precipice of hell itself, God has made a way so that the glorious light of the gospel can dawn on your soul. Look to Jesus and you find at evening time it is light. You may be a prodigal, wayward, and wandering from God. You're saved. You're saved, but you're not right with God, and you know it, and God knows it. Maybe nobody else knows it, but you know it, and it's dark. The light isn't there like it used to be. The joy and glory has departed from you because sin is separated between you and your God. I'm glad to report to you tonight that in a moment of time, if you will look to the one who is light, look away from your darkness and look to the light at that moment, Jesus Christ will let dawn a new day, a new beginning for your Christian faith. Some of you right now are struggling with family and friends and brokenness and problems. You're hurting. Cry yourself to sleep at night and wet your pillow with your tears and stare at the ceiling and wonder where God is. I came to tell you tonight on the last night of this meeting, take heart, take hope in God. Find your help in the Lord. Listen, at evening time, God can make it light. That doesn't mean the world's going to be perfect. That doesn't mean your problems are going to go away. That doesn't mean it's going to be smooth sailing from now to heaven. But it means that God who is light will come and be very near to you. And in the darkest hours of the night, God will bring light into your soul. And what of the church living in dark days 
in a nation spiraling into darkness in a community and a culture that's rejected Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what this town needs. I've been around this town two or three days. You've got a nice little place to live here. It's a wonderful town, but I'm going to tell you what this town and every town needs. It needs the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not the church's business to get in a building and keep all the light in here and talk about what we have. It is our business to get out yonder in the darkness and share the light of the good news of Jesus Christ. God has made it so that at evening time it shall be light. And isn't it just like the Lord that in one of the hardest passages of Scripture in the whole Bible, he gives one of the most hopeful statements? And isn't it just like the Lord that in this passage that describes one of the most hateful times this world is ever going to know, he gives one of the most happy statements? In the midst of all the mess, at evening time, it shall be light. I give this parting thought, please don't miss it, because really it's the key to how this application becomes true in our life. Could I simply point out to you that the statement, at evening time it shall be light, is directly connected to the Lord showing up. Please don't miss this. Light is always connected to being in the presence of God. If you need light right now, I'm going to tell you what you need. You don't need better circumstances. Mm -mm. You don't need a better job. You don't need all the problems to go away. I'm going to tell you what you need. You need to get in the presence of God. Because when you get near Him, He brings the light. Adnarm and Ann Judson got on a boat headed for Burma, Myanmar now. Some people say, first Baptist missionaries, it might interest you to know, when they left, they weren't Baptist. That's right. God and the good providence of the Lord put them on, a, on board a boat with a Baptist, and on the long ship ride over, they had Bible studies, and when they landed on the other side, they got baptized by immersion and wrote their mission agency back home and said, we can't work for you anymore. We became Baptist on the trip over here. True story. And they were so excited they were going to evangelize Burma, that dark place with the gospel, and they were doing really good until Adoniram got arrested. And they beat him and tortured him and kept him in prison for days on end. His wife came to see him. They let her in because they thought she would talk him out of all this Christianity nonsense. They didn't know she had as strong a faith as he did. And when they let her into his prison cell, he was hanging by his thumbs. They had left him hanging, suspended in air by his thumbs. He was semi-conscious and in excruciating pain. And when she saw him like that, she just started to weep. And he roused himself and saw her standing there. And he said, Ann, what are you doing here? She pulled a piece of paper out of her pocket and opened it up. And she said, the mission agency that we work with back home has written you saying they haven't gotten a report in a little while and they need you to write in and report on how the work here in Burma is progressing. Those kind of things always come just when you don't need them, don't they? And Adam Judson, hanging by his thumbs, faintly smiled and said to her, you write them and tell them that the future here is as bright as all the promises of God. And within three hours, he was released from that prison cell. They went on preaching and evangelizing and winning people to Christ. At evening time, it was light. A few years ago, I was preaching a single adult conference in Lower Alabama, the other L.A. You know Lower Alabama? It was an amazing meeting. The place was packed with college-age students. It was exciting. I'm standing on the platform, and I looked over, and there's a whole section over there, and they all had on matching T-shirts, so they stood out. And they not only stood out because of the matching T-shirts, they were super energetic. And finally, I said to the pastor who was leading it, I said, tell me about that group over there. He said, I don't know them. He said, they just found out about our meeting and asked if they could come. He said, they belong to a student Christian organization in a major university in Florida. And he said, they found out about it and asked if they could come. And I said, man, I like the way they listen to preaching. I like the way they're engaged. And 
And I just observed him. And the next day, it was lunchtime, and we're in the cafeteria area, and I got my food and was finding a place to, to sit. And I noticed at their table, they're all sitting around a big table, they had one empty seat. And I said, could I sit with you all? Oh, sure, preacher, come and sit. And I sat with them, and we talked about a little of everything and a whole lot of nothing. And, and then finally, I said to the, to the leader who was sitting across from me, he was a student too, student leader, I said, I want you to tell me. I said, I love university ministry. We helped start a ministry at the University of Tennessee, and I've spent a lot of time on college campuses, and I love college students. And I think, I think some of the great revivals in history started with that group, and I'm praying for another one. And I said to him, I said, tell me how your student organization started. Tell me, tell me about it. He paused for a minute, and he said, hmm. Do you know the name Adoniram Judson? I said, you mean the missionary to Burma? That's the one. I said, yeah, I know Adoniram Judson. I said, I, I love reading about him. To the Golden Shore, a great book. And I said, what does he have to do with your group? He said, well, in an indirect way, he kind of started our group. I said, now, time out just a second, because he's been dead a long time. I said, explain that to me. And this is what the young man said. I'll never forget it. He said, years and years ago, he said, there was a young man from Burma that came to America to study in our university. He said he thought when he got here, he would find some great Christian presence. I mean, he was coming to America after all. He said, but when he got to our university, he couldn't barely identify a believer among us. He said he couldn't find a prayer group or a Bible study to participate in. Had a hard time finding a church in the area. And he said it so troubled him that he started this Christian organization on our campus to get the Bible out and get the gospel to students. I said, well, that's amazing. I said, but you're going to have to help me connect it to Adoniram Judson. He said, well, the amazing thing is that young man's great, 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 great grandparents were personally led to Christ and discipled by Adoniram Judson. And immediately, I'm just like that, my mind went to Judson hanging in that prison cell saying to his wife at the darkest day of his life, the future here is as bright as all the promises of God. You think Judson had any idea what God was going to do, what the Lord was going to set in motion? Absolutely not. I tell you tonight, you can't see through the darkness, but God does. And God will make it so that at evening time, Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.